In this episode, I will revisit a topic uh, that I covered in uh, Season 3, Episode 2, which is how you kill untrustworthiness. And the reason I'm revisiting it, uh, well, there are two reasons. One is because I keep learning. I keep uh, seeing, observing things, and and it keeps... uh, uh, educating me and and I'd like to educate you. The, the second reason is that I just spoke at SHRM Atlanta, uh, their conference, their annual conference. SHRM stands for the Society for Human Resource Management. And I talked about exactly this topic. Why are leaders unintentionally kill trustworthiness and how do you unkill trustworthiness? Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of The Book of Trust and facilitator of The Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? The title for this uh, episode is actually after a title of an article, a 1998 Harvard Business Review article from Teresa Amabile that was called How to Kill Creativity. And that article and her work, Teresa Amabile, uh, was really very fundamental for my work on my own PhD dissertation and uh, on creativity in organizations. And uh, it was, um, it's, it's an inspiring enough, it's, it's a provocative enough title, and I decided to use this. So now the title of this one is How Do We Kill Trustworthiness? Now, the first thing that I have to state is that killing trustworthiness by leaders is not done intentionally. I don't believe that there is any leader that says, uh, oh, what can I do today to kill my employees' trustworthiness? No, you want your employees to be trustworthy. Or do you? So in one of my surveys that, that I did, I believe in 2018, I asked a very simple question. What is the most important quality for you in other people? And first, I asked it as an open-ended question. I collected answers. I categorized them into five main categories. And uh, the top five, I gave them as a survey question for others. And I got uh, 363 responses. I asked about six types of people, six types of relationships or roles. The first was uh, your your boss, your leader, someone that you report to. The second is your employees. Uh, if you're the boss, you're the leader, people who report to you. Then the P, your peer, uh, a salesperson trying to sell you something, your government representative, and your spouse. So the question is, again, what is the most important quality for you in them? And I gave five, uh, five options based on the open-ended uh, pilot study that I did. Well, uh, on average, it was 61.2% trustworthiness. So the most important quality for me in other people across all different six types, across 363 responses with 61.2%, trustworthiness was the most important quality. And by the way, with 61.2%, you get that it's actually more than the next four combined. But here's an interesting thing. Trustworthiness was not the most important quality in all six of them. 
Only in Five. This would be the time for you to ask which one did not think that trustworthiness was the most important quality for them in other people or what type of relationship. Well, go ahead, ask. Okay, thank you for playing. Uh, so uh, the answer is leaders. When I asked leaders what is the most important quality for you in other people, in your employees, I'm sorry, not other people in general, in your employees, the answer Number one, with 47.5%, was the willingness to work hard. That was number one, the willingness to work hard. Oh, number two was trustworthiness with 39.3%. Only number two. And that reminds me of uh, a quote from Henry Ford who said, uh, Why is it that every time I ask for a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached? There was another interesting thing. And that's when I asked employees about their bosses, their supervisors, their leaders, trustworthiness was number one. And I don't remember what the number was, what, what the percentage was, but here's an interesting thing. They ranked highest on what they wanted or how much they wanted or how important was their boss's willingness to take risk was for them. It was 20%, and it might sound that like 20% is not too high, but the average on that question on how important is the willingness to take risk, the average across all six types of relationships was 6.1%. But when I asked employees about their bosses, their willingness to take risk was 20% important, or 20% reported that as being the most important. What is it that they're asking their bosses to take a risk on? They're really asking them to take a risk on them, on the employees. And why is that important? If you go back to season six, episode three, when I explained the relationship between risk and fear and trust and safety and, and danger, you will see that trust is really a function of risk. So when an employee says, I wish my boss would be more willing to take risk, 20% of them said this was the most important quality for them in their boss. What they're really saying is, I want my boss to trust me because they will trust me only if they're willing to take risk. So that's really why we're asking, why the employees were asking their boss to be willing, more willing to take risk, or at least said that this is an important quality for them in their bosses. Let me move on. Why is it important for employees to be trusted? Well, number one, uh, one of the things that I found was that uh, there was a very high correlation between autonomy and trust. So I get autonomy to do things my way, if my boss trusted me, and that correlation is 67%. I'm 60, as a supervisor, as a leader, I'm 67% more likely, more willing to give autonomy to an employee that I trust than to an employee that I don't trust. And I'm, I'm going to go back to Teresa Amabile because she has a great definition of autonomy. Autonomy is not that you let your employee decide whatever they want to do, and, and her words are, choose which mountain to climb. Don't let the employee choose which mountain to climb. 
Let them decide how to climb that mountain. So autonomy is not when you give your employee whatever, uh, do, do whatever you want. Autonomy is when you tell them what needs to be done by them, but you let them decide how. You don't micromanage them. And by the way, I should quote one more thing that, that I covered uh, to uh, another research that I covered both in the book of trust and in the book Unkill Creativity. There was a study that was done at Liverpool Hope University School of Business, uh, and this was in 2014, when uh, employees were asked how important is trust, is not trust, is, is autonomy to them. 78% said that work autonomy was important to them. And that study specifically also showed a, a strong positive effect that autonomy has on creativity and productivity. Um, but, but I didn't need them to tell me that. M my own PhD research showed a very strong correlation between autonomy and creativity. A 0.474, we can call it 47.4%, with a strong statistical significance. It is important. The trust, the, the, the willingness that a boss has to take risk and trust their employees allows them to give autonomy. Autonomy creates creativity, productivity, and a lot more other good things. But, but I still haven't touched on how do we kill trustworthiness. And for that, I'm going to draw on my trust law number six. Again, I, I did not invent those laws. Uh, this is how trust behaves. I merely observed them and, and found eight laws of how trust behaves. And trust law number six is the trust is reciprocal. And the story that I like to use in, in my workshops or keynotes is uh, I take my daughter, Maya, when she was about a year old. And you, if you had kids, you, you know what I'm talking about. This is just about the time when they lift themselves from crawling on the floor to standing. And once they realize they stand, they keep on pushing the envelope on what can I do? And, and they're trying to test what they can do. So the next thing is uh, she lifts herself. Uh, she realized that she can stand after she realized she can stand. The next thing is she starts walking first while holding on to something, then walking on herself uh, on her own. Next thing is she's going to try running, right? What do you think happens the first time she tries running? Exactly. She falls down. And what does she do the first uh, as soon as she falls down? No, she doesn't. If, if what you said was she starts crying, she doesn't. Gets up and going, no, she doesn't. The first thing that she does is she turns around and she looks at me. She looks at my reaction because she still couldn't make sense of it. And she looks at me. And if my reaction is horror, <gasps> she goes, she starts crying because obviously something terrible had happened. But if my reaction is, come on, get up, keep going. She would, you know, look to her knee and see that there's like blood, something red that's ripping from it. And, and it kind of hurts. And uh, I don't know. But, you know, daddy seems to not think it's a big deal. So it must not be a big deal. And she gets up and she goes. You know, when I say that trust is reciprocal, 
we, we typically, when you hear that, you think, oh, if I trust you, then you're going to trust me. Actually, that does not work. And that's trust law number four. Trust is asymmetrical. It is not symmetrical. And we also think about the reciprocity as if you're trustworthy, then I will trust you. But actually, here's the thing I want you to think about. Trust is reciprocal in that if I trust you, you will behave in a trustworthy way. Trust works that way too. Because here's the thing. If I trust you more than you think you deserve to be trusted, more than you think you earned trust, if you continue to behave in a less trustworthy way than the amount of trust that's being put in you by me, you're going to feel something that's called cognitive dissonance. Your brain will tell you something is wrong. This other person trusts us more than we think we should be trusted. But you know what you do? You actually start behaving in a more trustworthy way. By the way, there is another component to that. It's not enough that I trust you. I need to also show you that I trust you. And I'm going to put three layers here. Uh, One is uh, I don't trust you. And I show you that I don't trust you. Another layer is I don't trust you, but I don't show you. So you may not even know that I don't trust you. You may think that I trust you, even though I don't. Although I believe that at some point you will know. The next layer is I trust you, but I don't show you that I trust you. So you may not know that I trust you. Although, again, the same over time, you may see that. And the best level, the highest level is I trust you and I show you that I trust you which is a perfect place for a quote from Maya Angelou. When someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. So it's really important that I show you that I trust you so that you will believe me that first time. How does it manifest itself when you show that you trust somebody or or that you don't trust somebody? Ask yourself this question. What do you say when one of your employees had tried something without asking your permission first and failed? What is your reaction? Most leaders that that I encountered, not all of them, but most of them would go, next time, ask first. Well, does that feel like you've done the right thing? No, it feels like you did the wrong thing. Or don't do it again. Or... This will have consequences. This will go on your personnel record or something like that. W- would that make you feel that you're being trusted? No, the opposite The opposite way around, the, the other way around. How about when one of your employees comes to you with an idea? They come to you very excited. I have an idea for our business. I, I have an idea. And, and you go, tell me what it is. I'll tell you if it's a good idea or not. Do you show them that you trust their own judgment of their idea? Or I'll tell you if you can pursue it. That's, okay, great idea, but I'll tell you if if, uh, it's important enough for us to to do. One of my favorite uh, responses to somebody comes with an idea. Did anybody ask for it? And, you know, unfortunately, I've encountered that being on the receiving end. I came up with uh, what ended up being a great idea, and I'm not going to spend too much time uh, or any time at all talking about it here. But the response I got was, uh, did anybody ask for it? Did any of our clients ask for it? No, they don't know anything about it. 
uh, or you know again there's there's another favorite uh i'll tell you when i need your opinion i'll tell you what it is i mean this is such a condescending thing but what does it do to trustworthiness it kills trustworthiness this is how you kill trustworthiness this is one example i'll show you more You want more examples? You want more examples? You can't handle more examples. Okay, never mind. I can't do. Um, so uh, we're starting to work from home. The uh, COVID-19 pandemic sent us home. Uh, I read a, a Forbes article uh, that, that covered a study that was done by scientists from Letters. Um, and what they said was that 25% of the professional jobs in North America will be remote by the end of this year, 2022. 25%, one in four jobs will be remote. And they actually claim that it's going to be more in 2023. So I want you to think about this. You're a manager, you're a leader. How do you know that your employees are actually working when they're working from home? Maybe they're just wasting time. So obviously there is a remote employee monitoring and time tracking software, and there's probably more than one. And there are probably companies that are making a lot of money on these kinds of software. Let me ask you a question. When I demand that you install that kind of software on your computer, and I actually uh, have you take your work computer and only work from your work computer, where we already installed that software that we can monitor your work and make sure that you work enough and, and exactly what you do. Maybe we do that by using the microphone, the camera that you have, tracking your keyboard, websites you went to, just so that we will know that you're actually working. If there's something like this installed in your computer, do you feel trusted by your company or your leader? There's a similar thing uh, for student proctoring. You know, I teach, and uh, when I started teaching in, in university, it was uh, uh, in person, and then all of a sudden, uh, March, actually on March 11, 2020, I was teaching the first lesson, the first week of a class when 12 out of my 49 students told me that they don't feel comfortable coming to class because there is this virus uh, going around. Uh, and sure enough, that night, the WHO announced this uh, COVID-19 to be a global pandemic and the university shut down its campus. Everything went on Zoom. So how do we make sure that our students are not uh, are not cheating? Well, there's student proctoring software, and I, I like one of them. Uh, I, when I say I like, I'm really being sarcastic here, where it says by students and for students. Well, I get if students have developed this program, but to say that it's for students, to say that students don't like to be trusted by their professors, I think is an uh, overstatement here. What are you telling them? What are you telling your employees when you put this kind of software uh, on their computers? What are you telling your students when you put this kind of software uh, on their computer? You're telling them that you don't trust them. And so why would you expect them to behave in a trustworthy way if you're telling them that you don't trust them? Um, I'll tell you one thing. If you don't trust your employees, if you don't feel that you can trust your employees... You don't have the right employees. Uh, 
you hired the wrong employees. You know, unfortunately, more more likely, you hired the right employees and you killed their trustworthiness by this. And, and in the next part, I'm going to show you uh, a little more about why. I'm, I'm going to show you the theory, the, the model of why this happens. Um, you know, when, when your boss shows you that they don't trust you, um, or alternatively, they just don't show you that they trust you. You don't feel trusted. Initially, what you're going to do is really behave in a less trustworthy way. And I'll explain that in the next segment. But isn't there going to be a point where you actually give up and you go, I'm done. I don't feel comfortable. I don't like not being trusted. Um you know, in several of my episodes, previous episodes, I talked about research done by me and by others that shows the correlation of what do you feel about your job? I mean, job satisfaction goes down, uh, the level of stress goes up, uh, your engagement goes down, your willingness to stay with the company goes down, and dramatically, I'm talking double-digit percentages when you're not trusted. But at some point, you're just going to give up. Okay, this is going to be a little challenging because I want to show you a visual. And as you can imagine, it's challenging because this is a podcast and there is no video and there, there are no visuals. But I want you to imagine this. First of all, keep in mind that vicious cycles of trust and trustworthiness, distrust and untrustworthiness. Okay, and now I want you to think of a, of a graph, of a chart that on the x-axis has time. This is what's going to happen over time. On the y-axis is where we have trust and trustworthiness. Now, typically we have an equilibrium. So the level of trust really matches the level of trustworthiness. And whatever that level is, if it's at 30%, let's say that it's anywhere between 0 and 100%. If it's at 30%, there's a 30% trustworthiness, 30% uh, trust. But now I want you to imagine that your level of trustworthiness is at 50%, right there in the middle. You're not at zero, you're not at 100%. And I have two options, and I'm gonna take the extreme options. I I'm, can start with zero trust, and that's kind of the standard approach. You have to earn my trust. You're not just gonna get my trust, you have to earn it. So even if you're at 50%, you have to earn me getting to 50%. And Theoretically, you're going to stay at 50% and I'm going to slowly and gradually over time grow until I believe that you are at 50, uh, until I trust you 50%, until I match the level of trustworthiness you have. But actually what happens is uh, worse than that. Because if I'm starting at zero and you're at 50%, then you feel that I don't trust you. I don't trust you, zero, and I probably show you whether intentionally or not, that I'm at zero. And at some point you're saying, well, what's the point of me acting in a trustworthy way if this person does not trust me? Your level of trustworthiness starts declining. By the way, meanwhile, I see that you're more trustworthy than zero, which is where I started. So I started trusting you a little more. So think of that as two curves. Your curve starts at 50%. My curve starts at zero. And they start getting closer and closer. They will never get exactly to the same level, but we're going to end up at about 25%. 
Okay, you started at 50% trustworthiness. I started at 0% trust. We end up uh, in this cycle at about 25%. Now think of uh, another, the opposite extreme. Let's say that you're at 50%, but I started at 100%. Well, once again, you got cognitive dissonance. You feel that I trust you probably more than you feel that you earned my trust because you're at 50 and I started at 100. So you're going to start behaving in a more trustworthy way. By the way, meanwhile, I'm going to start realizing that I shouldn't have trusted you 100%. You're not there. So my level of trust in you starts slowly declining. But once again, those two curves, you started at 50, I started at 100, they start getting closer and closer. They will never meet, but they're going to end up being just about 75%. So the two options, if you started at 50% trustworthiness, if I started 0% trust, we're going to end up at 25%. I'm going to destroy half of your trustworthiness. If I started at 100% and you started at 50%, we're going to end up at 75% or I'm going to add 50% or 25% if we start at zero of uh, your level of trustworthiness. Which one is better? You're going to say, well, obviously the latter one, uh, we should always start at 100%. Doesn't matter how trustworthy the other person is. If we start at 100%, we're going to end up much higher. Well, not so much. I mean, I'm not advocating for you to start at 100% when the other person is at 50 or, or zero. It's dangerous. You know, when you trust someone without the foundation of their trustworthiness at all, it's dangerous. And again, I can take you back to uh, season six, this current season, uh, uh, episode three, to see the relationship between risk, fear, trust, and then danger versus safety. You want to feel safe. And if you trust the other person dramatically more than the level of trustworthiness that they have shown you, uh, then you're in danger, really. I mean, don't do it. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is that really the difference between the level of trust that you're going to show the other person and their level of trustworthiness at the beginning, they should be pretty close, even at the beginning. So you need to uh, well assess it. And then you have really two decisions to make. One is I'm going to trust a little less than the level of trustworthiness. So really, you know, you have to earn my trust. Not at zero, but a little less than the level of trustworthiness. Well, the problem is that if you trust them less than their level of trustworthiness, then this starts declining. Your their level of trustworthiness starts declining towards your level of trust. Well, your level of trust is going to decline towards uh, because of their declining level of trustworthiness. And you're going to end up eventually at the vicious cycle of distrust and untrustworthiness. On the other side, if the level of trust that you show the other person is slightly more than the level of trustworthiness that they showed you, then they're going to raise their level of trustworthiness a little. And you're going to give them even a little more trust because you want to keep that going. And one of the ways, that, and, and by the way, at the end, you end up in the other vicious cycle. I, I don't want to call this one vicious because it's really a good cycle of trust and trustworthiness. 
And, and the way I, I like to look at it is think of, of this, this hill, okay, or an upside down U-shape, and you have this ball that's, that's right there at the top. And it really depends on which way the ball is going to start dropping. It's not going to go back up to the top. Gravity is going to pull it down. The only question is, are you going to pull it down towards the distrust, untrustworthiness, vicious cycle by showing them less trust than the level of trustworthiness they showed you initially? Or are you going to fall on the other direction where towards the cycle of trust and trustworthiness by showing them always a little more trust than the level of trustworthiness they showed you? Slightly more. You may know or may have seen somewhere in my material that I have developed a mathematical model of trustworthiness. And I'm not going to take you through that model, but what I can tell you is that I simulated uh, different events that took place that, that could potentially take place and their impact on starting with three levels of trust. And I, I started here at zero, one, and two, and seeing where we end up after those events, uh, you know, such as, for example, somebody lied to you. Obviously, there was a decline in trust if you started at a high level of trust. Not so much if you started at a low level of trust. Uh, and so they did things that increased trust or their trustworthiness in your eyes, and therefore you're trusting them, or decreased trust. And what I ended up, it was very simple. As I simulated all of those exactly the same scenarios, when, we, when you start with a higher level of trust, you end up with a higher level of trust and trustworthiness. When you start with a lower level of trust, you end up with a lower level of trustworthiness and trust. It just works that way. So everything that I said until now really guides you towards start with trust. Not 100%, but more than uh, start with more trust and show that you have more trust than the level of trustworthiness the other person had shown you. But how do you do that? So one example is that you take references seriously. And, and I'm not going to go back to the continental flight where uh, the, the first pilot had crashed the plane, killing 25 passengers, two crew members, uh, and one flight attendant. Um, and, uh, and that this whole thing, the NTSB report, showed that this whole thing came back to uh, the reference that the previous company, where the uh, previous airline, where the co-pilot, the, the first officer, flew, uh, didn't give a the right the appropriate the the correct the truthful reference so take references seriously when you want to check somebody out you have to really interview somebody in the previous place where they worked or or get other people to tell you about them this is the fifth law of trust trust is transferable so use that use it seriously uh if you don't trust it then don't use it but i would probably say Try and make sure that you get enough information that you can trust it. The next is don't use your gut feeling if you don't have enough experience or know that your gut is right. And, and uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, would really tell you when to trust it and when not to. But I'm always a uh, an advocate to use real data, use the analytical model, use those six components of who you are and what you do 
to determine whether this is somebody that you can trust and uh, or, or to determine I, I shouldn't say you can trust because that makes it binary and the first law of trust is that trust is continuous but it would help you determine the level of trust in the specific context that that you need them for it will help you determine their their actual level of trustworthiness and therefore, what should your level of trust be? And, and again, my I advocate not to 100%, but a little more than what they have proven proven to you. Go down that, that route. Look at your own biases. Uh, do you have biases that cause you to distrust or trust per a person uh, based on less than, than data? Uh, biases can be very strong. Do you have biases? Can you control your biases? Now, if you already have a relationship, this is, uh, we're not uh, uh, hiring someone. Now we uh, are working, we're leading someone, we're managing someone. Whenever you communicate on your side of, and I like to call it miscommunications. There are many reasons why miscommunication happens, but it really foils down to, falls down to to you or me, the speaker or the receiver or the listener. Uh, Miscommunication happens because, you know, what the speaker wanted to say is not what the uh, receiver understood at the end. Uh, If you blame the other person for it, then they're going to trust you less. I always own my side of miscommunications. Uh, I know that there's part of it that's your side, but, you know, I can't own your side to miscommunication. I can only own mine. So I do. I I own my side of miscommunication. If, if you didn't understand what I said, I probably didn't say it clearly enough. If I didn't understand what you said, then I probably didn't understand it and I need uh, to understand better. When you take this kind of ownership, this kind of accountability for communication, the other person will trust you more or be more trustworthy uh, on, on the flip side of it. Uh, so you have the positive effect of going towards the trust uh, trustworthiness uh, cycle. The next is uh, don't lump all employees together. Uh you know, this goes back into the eighth law of trust that uh, the level of trust that I as a leader have in my employees is the product of my trustability in general and every individual uh, employee's uh, trustworthiness. Well, the more weight I give to my trustability in employees in general, the less I'm going to trust any individual employee. So don't, don't lump them uh, together. Try and... I would say maximize your trustability. Do not lower your trust to employees in general, people in general, or or what have you, uh, or this group in general, this team in general, but actually give more opportunity, give more weight to their trustworthiness to decide. Uh, Treat your employees fairly. So trust an employee based on their trustworthiness level and not equally, which means I'm going to trust all of you at the same level. That doesn't work well. You're going to have employees that really should not be trusted at that level, and you're going to have employees that really should be trusted at the higher level. So the level of trust you extend to them should be applied based on their trustworthiness slightly more, but not equally to all. Uh, You're not doing anyone a favor, and this is not really what equality or equity is about. Finally, and I said that several times, and Maya Angelou said that, uh, show them. 
It's not enough to trust them. Uh, even if you do, show them that you, just, uh, that you trust them. That would have a bigger impact on their uh, cognitive dissonance and as a result, their increase in trustworthiness, their effort to increase their trustworthiness than if they actually didn't know that you trust them. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.